Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of James, chapter 5. James, chapter 5. And I'll be reading verse 14 and verse 15 tonight. James, chapter 5 and verse 14. The Bible says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them... Pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the great salvation that you've afforded to us. Thank you for precious gifts of your son. You sent to this earth to die in our place so that we can have forgiveness. Dear Lord, we are humbled by the fact that you would love us knowing that we all were so undeserving. And you, you looked beyond our faults and saw our need. Lord, I pray that we would treasure this wonderful gift. And I pray tonight as we look into your word that we would be continually reminded of your love. And that demonstration of sacrifice on the cross represents a love that never fails. And you loved us enough to save us. And you truly love us enough to keep us. And I pray that you would guide us as we seek your face and your direction and that you would give us the strength that we need for various situations, knowing that you are working in a mighty way for our good and for your honor and glory. Take full control. Give me the words you love me to say. May they be a source of blessing and encouragement and strength and challenge to each person who would listen. Cleanse me of sin and to me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. And we'll be careful to praise you alone, for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. When I was in secondary school, I didn't like history and biology. Everybody has their favorites, and everybody has their subjects that they don't like too much, but I saw history as a disconnected set of facts. I didn't like to memorize a lot of things. I liked when things made what seemed to me like sense and logic and things that I could analyze those were the subjects that I liked. So history was not in my favorite book. Biology, I'm not even sure why I didn't like it, but maybe it wasn't analytical enough for me at the time. But as I've grown older, I've grown to love and appreciate these two subjects because things are actually more logical, practical, and analytical than I gave them credit for. When you think of history, 
I realize that history actually repeats itself. And as human beings, we are really the same. From the beginning of time until now, God has given us desires. These desires are very similar as people. We are similar in how we respond to pain. We are similar in how we desire to be happy. We are also similar in the fact that we all have been created with a sin nature. And so because of all of our similarities as people, history really repeats itself. And of course, our physical bodies are the same. We are biologically the same. We have different shades of skin color. But we are the same. We are made up of the same stuff. And when you really think of us as human beings, oftentimes the reason why there's so much division in the world is because rather than recognizing our similarities, we focus oftentimes on our differences. But the reality of the matter is that we are more the same than we are different. And we can learn so much from the study of history and the human body in understanding human behavior and how we should work together in this thing called the body of Christ. It is no accident that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 used the analogy of the physical body to illustrate how the spiritual body of believers in the church ought to function and to minister effectively. I love the fact that it was mentioned in the testimony time, the aspect of unity and togetherness and uh, the bond that unites us together as a family. That's exactly and precisely what the Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But in the book of James, James addresses this matter as well as he deals with the subject of stewardship in chapter 5. And we've been looking at this for a number of weeks now. And we saw very briefly, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but in verses 1 to 6, the corruption of materialism. The lack of satisfaction for what one has and the craving for more and more where things become the focus. Verses 7 to 11, he says, listen, rather than being focused on things, let's all endeavor to have a Christ-centered mindset. Let him be the focus, his return, having his approval. Verse number 12, we saw the need to have clean motives a pure desire for the things of the Lord. And then we began last week looking at verses uh, 13 and we're getting into 14 tonight that when these things are in place, when we have a Christ-centered mindset, when we we are fueled by a pure and sincere desire to please Almighty God, guess what? We will become a church that ministers to people. And a church that ministers to people will also become a church that ministers to us. But as we looked at this aspect of stewardship, we saw last week, very importantly, 
that if a church is going to minister effectively, if it's going to be a body that's functioning in unity and love, it is precipitated by personal responsibility. There are some things that individually, each and every one of us must search our own hearts and our own lives to be able to do for the church to function effectively. After all, the church is not them, but the church is us. And so we saw the importance of personal responsibility. Look at, look at, look at verse number 13. It says, is any afflicted among you? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. I mean, there is a, there is a clear emphasis that when there is an issue, uh, let it be brought to the attention of the church by the individual. There is personal responsibility when it comes to this matter of the church. But notice, as we move on here tonight, that when personal responsibility is embraced, then the church ought to respond by becoming, jot this down, a place of reliance. Look at verse 14, the latter part. After personal responsibility is embraced, it then says... And let them, do what? Pray over him. There's a response to the initiation. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this is a a response uh, to be able to have oil, which was a symbol And we'll see, more importantly, that this is an attempt or response to reach out for God's help on a matter. Amen? It says, let them pray over him. And so I want us to notice tonight two aspects of this church or a church being a place of reliance. A place of reliance. Notice that the reliance, first of all, is on The saints is on the saints. And how are the saints best be able to respond, to meet the needs of the people? It says, and the prayer of what? Faith shall save the sick. I love the fact that it was mentioned tonight that that there's a church uh, as a sign of unity and a sign of togetherness that Shiloh after his church and every church ought to be a place where we can expect and rely on each other to pray for one another. And let that continue to be a thrust of what we do as a church family. Not not to be the only thing we do, but it certainly ought to be something that we do. And I believe that oftentimes we underrate in importance the power of praying for one another. But let me say this tonight. There is power in prayer. Amen? There is power in prayer. There is 
access granted in prayer. And if you were here last Wednesday, we've seen that when it comes to this matter of prayer, that we are functioning in a spiritual realm. That's what makes prayer so important. We we must understand that in this thing called the work of God, that it is spiritual warfare. As such, we cannot fight in a spiritual war with physical weapons or physical elements. We must fight with spiritual weapons of which prayer is critical. Turn with me in your Bibles to a very familiar passage, Ephesians chapter 6. And this ought to motivate us even more to be on our knees and to pray on, tear those mighty strongholds down. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, with the Apostle Paul writing to this church of Ephesus, is admonishing them to take on the whole armor of God. But let's drop down to, drop down to verse number 16. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Remember, this is spiritual wartime. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then the Apostle Paul says, listen, I'm encouraging you to pray for one another. But he says, listen, make sure you don't forget me. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. To make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here we have the apostle Paul, the one who has been entrusted uh, with getting the message to the Gentiles and he's asking the church, listen, pray for one another but make sure you pray for me that I ought to say the things that I ought to say. He's relying on the prayer of the saints. Why? He understood this is a spiritual war. It's a war of good versus evil. This is not a war we can fight with guns and weapons and our physical hands. He says, I need your prayer. But I want you to turn back to James chapter 5. Because I want to emphasize tonight here on what it says in verse number 15. Because the prayer that we pray is a specific kind of prayer. And it says, the prayer of what? The prayer of faith. It didn't just say any old prayer. It didn't just say, uh, now I let me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Nothing's wrong with the words, but listen, it says that this prayer has to be a prayer of what? 
faith. And I want us to really focus tonight because oftentimes we think that just because we went through the motion of prayer, that our prayer will accomplish results. But the prayer of faith tonight, I want us to understand, has two aspects, as I'll point out tonight, in order for it to accomplish what James is talking about in verse number 15. And jot this down. First of all, the prayer of faith is a prayer of consecration. Now, consecration is dedication to the service and worship of a deity. So when I say it's the prayer of consecration, I'm speaking to our mindset when we pray. I'm speaking to the fact that when we pray, we need to be doing what is good We need to be doing what is right because when I'm praying, I understand that I'm consecrated to the cause of Almighty God. In other words, I am not doing or going to do anything to hinder the success of his team, of his program. Why? Because again, keep at the forefront of my mind, I'm in spiritual warfare. There are sides. There is good and there is evil. So I'm consecrated and I'm dedicated to the side of right. I've made up my mind that that's where I am. You with me? So when I'm consecrated, understand, it's a mindset. It means then that I am determined that I'm not going to give the opponent any known advantage. I am consecrated. I'm dedicated to the side of right winning the battle. It then means that it doesn't matter whether what I do is seen or unseen by man because we are involved in spiritual business. Whether it's seen by man or not, if it's sin, if it's evil, it's helping the enemy. So when we pray a prayer that is categorized and classified as a prayer of faith, understand that it means that the prayer, the prayer of the prayer must be consecrated to God. Are you hearing me tonight? This aspect of doing right is something that we must make up in our minds. It doesn't matter who's watching. And let me say this. This is such an important aspect when it comes to integrity and pleasing God. (laughs) You see, my friend, oftentimes... I believe that in this Christian life, 
we tend to focus on pleasing people as opposed to pleasing God. And it baffles me. Because this is not a physical war. You know, while you might be able to block different people from your social media status, you can't block God. And if we're going to pray a prayer of faith, we must be on the side of right every minute of our lives endeavoring that I am going to fight and stand against evil of every sort. And so a prayer that is not linked to consecration is not a prayer of faith. In fact, my friend, sadly, a prayer that is not linked to consecration to God is actually a waste of time. That is why men like Moses and Nehemiah and David, when they prayed first up on their agenda in their prayer was to confess their sins with true brokenness and in repentance before asking God for anything. You check out Nehemiah's prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1. You check out David's prayer when, 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 when Nathan approached him. You check out Moses' prayer when the people were just in idolatry. He says, God, I'm not in a position to ask you for anything. God, forgive us for our failures. And so a prayer of faith must be backed by a life that's consecrated, set apart, dedicated to being on the side of right, in being in alignment with God himself. So when it comes to this thing of the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Wow, prayer is powerful. But my friend, before that prayer is prayed, it must be prayed by individuals who have made up their minds that where are they going to stand? I'm going to stand on the side of right. I'm going to stand with God. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So a prayer of faith is a prayer of consecration. It means that even before I've opened my mouth, God, in seeing my heart, knows that I have a mindset that endeavors to stand firmly and solidly with him on the side of good versus evil. The second aspect of a prayer of faith is the aspect of obedience. Consecration speaks to my mindset. Listen, I've made up my mind. This is the side that I'm on. Listen, I wish people would make up their minds to be on the side of God like they make up this mind to be on the side of whatever political party they decide they're on. Listen, you couldn't move them with a bulldozer. 
Let's make up our minds when it comes to God. God, I am solidly and firmly on your side. Not just by words, but my heart, my everything. I'm going to endeavor that whatever I do is going to support your agenda. That's consecration. That's a mindset. But after you make up your mind, guess what? It has to be followed by action. And the action is to live a life of obedience to God. So a prayer that's a prayer of faith has to have consecration and then it has to have obedience. That's the action. So we can't be doing evil and expect prayer to work because when we commit evil and when we embrace evil, we are allowing the enemy to infiltrate our ranks. Remember, this is spiritual warfare. And make no mistake about it. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what church we are part of. Doesn't matter what label we give ourselves. Doesn't matter what ministry title you have. God will never support enemy activity. He just will not. Psalm 66 and verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so, the prayer of faith is linked to believing God. Not just for the things that we want him to do. We're famous for that. Listen, we can pray and say, you know what? I believe God is going to do this for me. But the prayer of faith is believing God for the other things that he's telling us to do that oftentimes we want to ignore. What do I mean? I mean that the prayer of faith is linked to obedience to God. You know, oftentimes we are praying, God, I want you to do this. I want you to fix this. And God is also saying, yeah, I understand you want me to do this. And I want you to fix this. But I'm also telling you about something else over here that you seem to be just dismissing me. I want you to fix that. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want us to see this because oftentimes we complain about the fact that we are praying and we're praying and we're praying and nothing's happening. And there are times when it is truly that our timing is not God's timing. But we must endeavor that when we are praying, our prayer is indeed a prayer of faith. Because that's the kind of prayer that's going to accomplish results. Again, keep in mind this is spiritual warfare. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Classic passage in the word of God. Passage that we are to be very familiar with. Look at what the apostle Paul says. Outlines this so clearly. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, we are physical, fleshly beings. But as we engage in the work of God, it's not a spiritual a physical war, rather. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, they're not material things. 
but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought and to the obedience of Christ and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Wow. The Apostle Paul here is saying, God is concerned even about our very thoughts that they are brought into subjection and captivity in order to be obedient to the Lord. You see, my friend, you see the Apostle Paul says, be a weapon of a warfare, not carnal. In other words, let's understand that having a love for the world and the things of the world will always be a hindrance to prayer. God is concerned about our thought life. Why? Because we are involved in spiritual warfare. And what our spirits feed on matters in this war. You see, the reason why I emphasize this tonight, and I'm taking time for us to really digest this passage, is because I fear that in this thing called Christianity, that we get comfortable in ticking off our Christianity to-do list. And a checkbox of religious routine and rituals. And my friend, that alone is not going to get it done. Obedience requires sincere submission to God and an attitude and response from the heart to change some things that we know are contrary to what God is saying to us. You know, as a pastor, I'll share this with you and I'm almost done. When you preach, oftentimes you, you want to be practical and you ought to be practical. You ought to bring things down to a level where people can understand. And so at times you feel the compulsion to point out things that you might feel need to change. Well, here's what spiritual and spiritually minded Christians ought to say and do. We ought to say to God, as the pages of the word are open, as the preaching is preached, God, show me in my life what I am doing that you want me to change. And when you show me, because I'm consecrated, because I desire to further the cause of Christ, when you show me, 
like Habakkuk. I'm willing to repent. And I'm willing to change it. Point out to me, God, where I should go. Who should be my closest friends? What, what should I wear when I'm dressing? What should I watch on television? What, what should I watch on my phone? What should I listen to? What should I post on social media? Let's get into the habit of asking the Holy Spirit. You see, if we don't live a life of consecration and obedience, we actually can end up hindering the prayers that other people are praying for us. And we can end up hindering our own prayers. Here there are people praying and praying and praying. And God is saying, that prayer is not really going to go anywhere. The prayer of faith. This prayer of faith is a prayer of reliance that comes from the saints. But let me close with this. You see, this aspect of reliance, I'm relying on the saints. But ultimately, the reason why our prayers need to be consecrated and also followed by obedience, because the real reliance is not ultimately on the saints, but it's on the sovereign. Look back at James chapter 5 and in closing. It says, The prayer of faith shall save the sick. And what? The Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be what? Forgiven him. It's not any accident that God is saying. Mind you, the prayer is for someone who is physically sick. But God is providing physical healing because it is linked to our, our attention to spiritual healing. You see, God doesn't always heal physically because sometimes we know our bodies are temporary. Sometimes our time on earth is up. But we must always take sin seriously because if you think about it, sickness and death are the result and the consequence of what? Sin in the first place. And when God doesn't provide physical healing, he provides the grace and the mercy to take us through it. But look at the wonderful benefit of having divine assistance to be healed physically and spiritually could it be and I'm just asking a question could it be that at times and even the times in which we live that God allows physical ailments to get our attention to our spiritual ailments let it be 
that we realize that our faith in God is strong enough to bring about physical transformation and spiritual transformation in ourselves and in the lives of others. Not any accident in that verse that he says, the prayer of faith is so powerful that it will not only heal the sick, but it will bring about forgiveness. Why? Because God is concerned not only with physical healing, but spiritual healing as well. Let me tell you, prayer is powerful. But the prayers that we pray, they must be prayers of faith. And that's not just believing that God will answer the prayers that we pray. It's a prayer that says, God, I am devoted. I am committed. I am consecrated. There's no mistake where I'm standing. I am not straddling the fence. I'm not one day I'm working for you, one day I'm singing for you, one day I'm praising you, one day I'm testifying for you, and then the other day I'm actually supporting the devil's cause. And people can't even tell which side I'm on. I'm consecrated, I'm set apart. And I'm back up that, backing up that mindset with obedience, with action. It says, God, whatever you say to me, I will do it. I promise you, on the authority of God's word, when we pray that kind of prayer, with that kind of mindset, and that kind of action, we will have some amazing results. Father, 